Welcome to Hospitality Meets with me, Phil Street, where each week we take a light-hearted look into the stories and individuals that make up the wonderful world of hospitality. Today's guest is Ian Wynne-Smythe, XPO Cruises Hotel General Manager and 30-year cruise ship veteran. Coming up on today's show... Ian demonstrates that it never pays to assume anything. The assumption was made that I knew what I was doing, that I'd be fine handing out thousands of pounds worth of cash. Phil hosts an advanced spelling class. You do know that you spell soup, S-O-U-P. And Ian shows us the easiest way to resolve high-level problems. And we soon came to a resolution. I think it involved a bottle of Johnny Walker Black Label in the end. All that and so much more as Ian walks us through his epic career so far. As one of my early career mentors, I was so delighted that Ian agreed to come on the show and our chat does not disappoint. It's crammed full of humour and stories of a life at sea from one of life's genuine hospitality givers. A huge thank you to Ian for that. If you're enjoying the shows, we'd love for you to sign up to our weekly newsletter. Head over to hospitalitymeets.captivate.fm and enter your details at the bottom of the page. We'd love for you to be part of the tribe. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to the next episode of Hospitality Meets with me, Phil Street. Well, today I am excited, so excited that I'm pretty sure a little bit of wee came out this morning when I woke up. I'm not going to beat around the bush, but it gives me immense pleasure to welcome one of my early career mentors and now a very dear friend, Ian Wynne Smythe, or as I affectionately known him as, Sir Winifred of Smythe, or Winnie. <laughs> welcome. Oh, thanks, Streety. There you go. I'll get that in straight away. Yeah, well, we set the tone, right? Set well, the set tone, the, especially. I've set that tone, yeah. I've, I've set the tone with that wee comment, anyway. So, well, well um, I, I was thinking, where's it going to go from here? He's going to spare me the details, please. Yeah, so. the only way is up. So that's <laughs> uh, that's good. <laughs> well, at least you didn't call me Winnie the Pooh. That's all. Yeah, right. uh, well, I mean, the, the, all, the, I, I'm sure you've had that before. Oh, it's many, same... many times. It's, it's quite well, interesting, actually, because my surname's W Y N N E, but and everybody signs because they all know me. Certainly at work, they knew me as Winnie. Yeah. And I said, how do you spell Winnie? I said, well, spell it how you like. <laughs> it's not my real name. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a nickname. But as in Winnie the Pooh, do that. That's fine. But then after yeah. that, I made a rod from my own back because then every card or every present I got had Winnie the Pooh on it. Oh, and uh, even my mother got in on me after one year. I set up my first house and uh, she bought me a Winnie the Pooh rug. Think, oh, nice. Where, are you, where am I going to put this bright yellow and red thing that didn't match anything in the household my own mother has yeah. bolted on to the winnie thing so you're quite unique actually streety because you're the only person that's called winnie fred <laughs> yes well at the um I, I don't know where, where that even came from but from very early on because you were as i mentioned one of my early career mentors and bosses but even when you were my boss i used to call you sir winifred of Smythe. i um well, <laughs> not boss or sir <laughs> or anything. Well, I've got a little sir in there. But... Well, well, it's one of those things that, as you know, we do employ quite a lot of uh, Filipino staff on board the cruise ships. Yeah. And, and they are very much into your into calling you very respectfully, sir. And and, yeah. and even, you know, your deputies and to look, look, it's not sir. You know, it's not sir. It's Ian. And yeah. then they go, OK, sir, Ian. And, it, <laughs> and then all of a sudden you're knighted. And, uh, and uh, yeah. in, in the eyes of the Filipino community on there, you're, you're Sir Ian. I thought, I'm, I'm going to change my name on my passport and just be called Syrian, S-I-R-I-A-N, and see what happens. Because <laughs> well, at least I'd be called by my first name. There's uh, there's time. 
yet for that to become official. <laughs> I'll, I'll have a word with 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 uh, Boris and the Queen and see what what can happen. I think yeah. Sir Ian sounds better than Lord anyway. Don't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I I know what it it's like to have a a name that people take in any direction that they wish. I uh, obviously street. I've had yeah. all manner of coronation, street hawk, streety. Ah, but, but I know you as streetwise. Well, very good. And what's the but word on the street? That was the other ah, one. Ah, that's the well. word on the street. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, all of that came from actually Pigeon. I forgot about that one. That was my college one. <laughs> um, Pigeon Street. Yeah. But that, that dates me very, very well, at least, clearly. At least you weren't Sesame Street. And well, I'm sure at some point <laughs> it, it, it must have been. It must have played its part. But uh, anyway, I'm, I'm not going to make the uh, the podcast 45 minutes about our names. <laughs> but uh, but uh, yeah. So where? How are you anyway? I'm amazing, thank you. I'm I've just taken early retirement. Yep. So that... yeah, after after 30 plus so, years, it's well, well, just over 30. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't feel like I've been working for the last 18 months of that, particularly with the public, but because of course we were working in the cruise industry, we were. The latest tourist attraction off the coast of Torbay, um, yeah. and and no guests on board, and only a skeleton crew. So mm. I went from running the the largest department of about eight hundred down to the smallest because we were just there to look after the deck and technical crew on board, right, and just look after their needs. So we we were a cargo ship without any cargo, right. So the whole dynamic sort of changed, and when you when you're so used to nearly 30 years of dealing with thousands of people you know moving yeah. white box going around the world then mm. you know to being anchored and that's not what those cruise ships are designed for you know no no and so. the hotel team are, are definitely i bet you the uh, the deck and technical team reminded you that you were there to look after them <laughs> oh that might have been one or two comments that were made yeah i'm yeah you know that the ham and jam department uh <laughs> are here to look after us and you're just the chief steward now so i think oh okay right well, I, I guess i was always the chief steward but we were the ones that looked after the cargo so <laughs> yes we were the ones that looked after the people who paid the money to the company that paid your wages <laughs> well yes that's a minor fact that was sometimes overlooked but anyway yeah. well was you, it ever thus <laughs> it's well it's actually i couldn't do what they do streety i couldn't do what they they do and they couldn't do what i did so yeah no indeed well that, that's the thing I, I um and it's actually one of the the, the things that i always kind of remember for this when I, I i make this argument around the fact that there's so many facets and elements to hospitality that it's not just about you know waiting tables and cooking food and making beds etc etc a cruise ship is a a monumental showcase of all of that because it's got a technical department you know one of the the, the biggest engineering departments you'll ever see in any hospitality business it's got medical it's got you know, drivers, the, the the deck department, entertainment. It's um, you know, and without any of these pieces of that that particular jigsaw, there is no product and there's no ex- experience for the guest. Absolutely, and I think you know, it's there's been many many uh, things that have happened. Uh, certainly, over the course of my career, I know I know of yours that things things happen in in one department that have such a rippling effect on everything else and. You know, you feel it more 
keenly, I think, because you have to be so self-sufficient on the ship. You mm-hmm. you are the fire brigade, you know, you are you are the medics, you are everything that's there. You you have to be self-sufficient. And it's it's it always made me smile when it's what's the difference between a hotel manager and a purser, as we were called in in the halcyon days. Back in the day. Uh, back in the day when we were called pursers. Yeah. So well, well, if a hotel manager runs out of olives, he picks up the phone and orders olives. And if if a purser runs out of olives, he well, he doesn't run out of olives. It's that simple. <laughs> you yeah. just can't. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. A, a purser doesn't run out of olives. Uh, well, not intentionally, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, of course, it's very difficult to get get them flown in when you're in the middle of the Pacific, isn't it? Uh, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So, well, let's go all the way back to the beginning. Actually, before you joined P&O, as it was back then, now absorbed with uh, within the Carnival Empire, you actually did uh, a short stint at your at the university that you were at, University of Chester. I did indeed. Yes, I was. So you've done uh, my research. Ah, well, yes. Did you Google me? <laughs> I just looked on LinkedIn. Oh, yeah. LinkedIn. They go yeah. <laughs> with the recent change. Um, <laughs> yeah, I've I, I was fortunate actually because I I grew up on the Isle of Man, which is a beautiful place to grow up, and obviously in it, back in the day we did actually have a a really diverse and extensive hospitality industry there. It relied on tourism, particularly um, around the big events like the TT races, for a lot of the revenue that came into the island. That's yeah. now been overtaken by obviously finance. It's a bit of a tax haven. But back in the day, and then obviously, probably like a lot of people, I was involved in the local hotel industry because that was your summer job from school. Yeah, and everybody did it. You know, everybody had their summer job. The hotels I worked in were in a place called Port Erin, which is in the south. And the guy there who was running them, he was a very canny businessman. He um, he bought some older Victorian properties, and realizing that that the the market for ensuite etc. was if you wanted to fill your hotels, you needed to offer ensuite back in the well, this was early eighties now. Mm. And that customers wouldn't accept anything, you know, having to troll down a, a corridor to get the bathroom. Very cleverly, he was a he was a builder anyway, and he he just converted the middle bedroom, did the whole Jack and Jill thing with bathrooms, and then we got a load of um, coach parties in from the UK, and so we had massive turnarounds. Um, I was working initially in the bars, then the restaurant, and eventually in reception, and um, that really sort of got my interest going and. And I thought about, you know, this is this is hard work, but it's enjoyable. The amount of people that you met was amazing. So as far yeah. back as just my school job, I guess, I, I was interested in sort of the hospitality business. But then, um, strangely, I, I didn't really know how to get into hospitality, if I'm honest. And right. like, like most things in those days, you sort of follow what your teacher says you're good at. So you can get some O-levels, A-levels, and maybe go on to get a degree. So, no. um, funny I, that actually, it's yeah. a, it, it was the same. I think I've probably spoken about this on the, the yes, I, I've, 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 I've heard the one was it number 50 where you were you oh, were crikey. interviewed? You're a fan, <laughs> I've done my research too. Street, <laughs> it was, um, uh, I was, I was uh, decent at physics, and and so that was what all the career advisors said go do physics, and that's to me is where there's a there's a massive disconnect between careers guidance and it just because you're good at something doesn't mean that you're interested in it no that's a that's a very interesting point 
very interesting point. And, and to be honest, Streety, when you're when you're sixteen, do you really know? Have you got any no. life experiences to draw on? Absolutely um, not. And, and yeah. I think certainly in my day, you know, careers, tutors, and guidance teachers were were very much on the make putting pressure on make your mind up make your mind up you need to make your mind up now because you need to do these levels a levels get this degree and then go and do this and you think i, I haven't lived I, I don't know what's out there i yeah. I, I don't know whether i'm certainly i was i was an, an adequate musician but my, my big thing was music and right. um so I, I did the classical route really sort of music drama psychology is what my degree is in yeah, Eventually. and little did you know that all three of those things come in very handy in on well, a cruise. <laughs> I, you know, I, I was reflecting back on 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 my career, having recently retired, and thinking to myself, yeah, what what did I what did I think I was going to end up doing? And I think when, when, <laughs> when, you know, when you're really young, you don't know, and you think, well, yeah. All my mates are going to university. I want to get off the Isle of Man. That's the only way really to do it. And in those days, we had grants, not loans and everything. Yeah. And, yeah. and uh, although it was still hard, you know, for subsistence and everything, my parents were, were really, really supportive of me. I was the first in my family to go and get a degree. And it was a yeah. big thing to leave the island, you know, get the steam packet and get across. And I remember coming to Chester thinking, oh, isn't Chester big? <laughs> having come from the Isle of Man I thought Chester was massive and I thought oh beautiful place and that's where I'm choosing to live now but there's actually there's similarities between your your own journey and mine because I was a a little island boy uh, as well and uh, I was desperate to get off and saw university as as a route out Yeah. Without having a clue really as to what I wanted to do, I just knew that I did, didn't want to be on the island anymore. Well, there is that element of security, you know. So, well, if if I'm okay, if I stand a chance that I've already got my A levels, or I wouldn't have gone into university. But you think, okay, well, I'll do this degree, and it's what I enjoy. You know, I enjoy it, and I seem yeah. to be okay at it. That's great. Could I make a career from it? And originally, this is sort of why I chose music, drama, psychology. And I thought I had this vision. I would I would be managing a theatre. That was my okay. thing because then um, the psychology was there for the management and the human aspect and the music and drama, obviously the professional content. And I thought, yep. yeah, that's what I want to do. And so, uh, you know, I came to Chester, enrolled on my BA, and then we had a very good scheme in our middle year where we spent a month's worth of, uh, work experience. And I got dispatched off to Northwest Arts, as it was in those days, in Manchester. Right. And they were very supportive of, right, you need to get around every, everywhere we give money to. And, you know, you can just see how it all works. So it wasn't really work experience. It was experiencing what the arts was all about. Yeah. And uh, I went around very much things from the Pit Prop Theatre, tiny organisation who, you know, were living hand to mouth. And obviously some local councils, and um, which obviously were, were larger and supporting mm. stuff. But it was a real education for me because what it did do for me is to reinforce what I didn't want to do with my life. <laughs> and I think sometimes right. you have to try some things to know you don't want to do it. It's a bit like yeah. artichokes for me. Try an artichoke, <laughs> decide you don't like it, look at that, but don't knock it till you've tried it. And, and so I was very fortunate, but of course I think, like, well, I'm two-thirds of the way through my degree now, what do I do? Mm. Um, so, of course, I finished it. And I'd always been interested in student politics and things. So, And I'd concurrently been like vice president of the Students' Union. And then when I finished, I was, I was elected student union president, which I, which was actually one of the most enlightening 
periods in my life because I learned a lot about diplomacy. I learned a lot about how certainly academia works and, and sort of how academics and administrators are, are slightly different beasts, shall we say. Yeah. Um, and and I, I was lucky because cause I, I was employed in the bursar's office. And this, this really laid the foundation for my hospitality career because a bursar in, a, in an educational establishment, as you know, Street Team, is basically like a, a purser on dry land, really. Well, and it rhymes. I, did, well. it. I, I went from bursar to bursar. It was a great... Yeah. Uh, it was a natural, natural choice. <laughs> a natural choice. Yeah, couldn't couldn't be bothered changing too many letters in the job title. <laughs> too confusing. Yeah, very confusing. And, and it was fascinating. I really, really found then that I enjoyed that element of things because because we the college was going through a, a post government inspection rejig and everything. So tutors' rooms had to be moved around all from different campuses to be closer to the department base big logistics and things and dealing with academics who are all going away on holiday for the summer and not wanting to move their rooms and and also you know doing catering a lot of the catering things because of course a lot of education establishments rely on the conference trade during the summer to um, bolster the coffers so I was involved in all of that and it gave me a really really broad exposure to all of the elements of hospitality that sort of got reawakened from my school days if you like yeah. my school job and and it sort of reignited the the thought of hmm i'm really enjoying this and, yeah. in, the, and in those days your your degree i mean there was banks and things employing you with classics degrees because they would train you once they got you and the thing about having a degree was in those days certainly was to prove that you had a brain and you knew how to use it and you could structure an argument yeah and also i think that you that you can finish something that you've started uh, well, as well. <laughs> well that that's very important um yeah. And, and yeah it's a, uh, i'll slog away your twenty thousand words and you think oh god but yes you, yeah. it's very important to finish what you start of course and, and it taught me lots of lessons i'll, I'll be honest you know it, it it taught me that i i wasn't always right i didn't know it all and what? Uh, yeah, that's not what you used to tell me. Well, I know, I know. Shh, <laughs> don't tell anybody. Nobody's listening. <laughs> well, I hope people are listening, but you know what I mean. Um, <laughs> so do and, I, yes. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I, I think one of the biggest lessons that, that I learned is, is, is hopefully carried through in my career is that the only way to avoid making mistakes is to gain experience, but the only way to gain experience is to make some mistakes. And, you know, I I think one of the worst things you can do is, is, is not pay attention to the fact you've got two ears and one mouth in equal proportion, you know, for for a reason, you know, you should listen twice as much as you talk. And, and although I seem to be doing a lot of talking because you're interviewing me and that's good. um, Indeed. Yes. This is is a good ratio (laughs) that we're doing. (laughs) Is, uh, is the fact that you know some of the best managers I think that we've ever worked with have listened more than they've spoken, and and we could all remember our early days. We have these sage purses rocking in their chairs, you know, going just listening to the commotion all around them, and then they just have offer one person, you know, one personal insight. Yeah. After you've been ranting and raving about Mrs. Moggins or whatever <laughs> doing something, and then there's them. Um, well, the answer's really simple. What do you think the answer is? <laughs> you know, and, and, and that is, is a great foundation stone because, you know... You, they, yeah, I'd never thought of that, you know, actually. They're, they're using their experience 
to act because it's a very efficient way of managing as well, isn't it? You know, let yeah. everybody talk, do a lot of listening, and then just come out with a pearl of wisdom because it is how you know, because there's I remember one story that you know that on reception that, that somebody made a mistake and you know they they'd unfortunately they'd, they'd lost some money that they, they hadn't lost it it was there all the time mm. but you know what it's like when you're trying to balance oh god in the days yeah. of cash lots it of it the, yeah it's that that half hour of stress oh the end of the day yeah but at least <laughs> this is all pre-euro and you're on a baltic cruise with like yeah 10 different currencies and stamps and all the rest of it and you had to balance every at the end of every day and and it, and it, it was quite an easy thing to to lose in theory some stuff well i remember my my bosses in the early days because my first job as you know was was on reception and um of course you 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 absolutely cannot go into a job like that at the age of 21 and not make mistakes that you're going to make them on a daily basis and the biggest mistake you can make when you're in charge of a a float of about ten thousand pounds or whatever it was probably not quite that much but um i actually can't remember what we used to to have but is to leave your float open and unattended. Yeah, bad move. Yeah, and but you learn very, very quickly because <laughs> all those around you will just go into your yeah. float and take out a, a you know crispy batch of five pound yes. notes, and then when you balance up at the end of the day and you've got five hundred pound missing, you you start to well up from inside. Well, well, it focuses your mind along with with lots of other parts of your anatomy. Yeah, um, that's for sure. And then and, you know, <laughs> I remember that happening and going in. It was uh, Jane Green was my first uh, Jolly Jane Green. Yeah, and um, I, I went in with my tail between my legs and said, "Look, sorry, um, I need to come clean. I've lost five hundred pounds." Uh, you know, and she went, "I know you have because I have it right here." <laughs> I was like, "Oh God, <laughs> let that be a lesson to you." And I was yeah. like, "Yes, it definitely was. It is, and I will never ever." do that again and I never ever did that again and then of course I was the one acting that out on the juniors who would come in later in the in the game because I think it, it's a, it's one of the many important lessons you have to learn every job you go into has something of that ilk that you that you can only learn by making that mistake yeah but I think Okay, money is a very contentious issue because it's money. You know, it's that simple. But and there are many lessons in life where you can make a mistake and it doesn't have a financial impact, but it will certainly mm. an emotional one. Um, yeah. And and I think as as managers, you've got to be really really careful about the effect of what your actions are going to have on that person. Because absolutely, yes, the best way to gain that that experience is to make a mistake and everything. But but we as managers have to limit the impact of all of that because I know that if it's left too long, so take your example there, you know, if you'd have sweated for three, four, five hours that night, you know, oh, yeah. panicking that, that you had genuinely lost it and, and Jane would have sat there going, I think you suffered enough, you know. There's, <laughs> there's, there's a limit to what you do, you know, isn't there? Because you just, I think, you know, you you, you can't be cruel with any of that. You, you can't be nasty yeah. with it. You've got to be just get that right balance of, I, I want you as a manager to be better. I want to get, I want you to give the best you can possibly give and I can see your potential and everything and you've made a mm-hmm. mistake. But, but you don't want to chuck them in at the deep end for them to drown. Yeah. You just want to support them. You want, you want to be, want, I suppose you use a swimming analogy. You want to put some armbands on them, you know, and you say, yeah. I will support you, but I need you to swim from this end of the pool to the other. 
and this is how I want you to do it, and this is how I think you can do it best, and away you go. And I think, yeah. you know, you, you wouldn't dream of just chucking somebody in the pool, not these days anyway, um, and just saying single swim. <laughs> that's yeah. not, that's not yeah. the way, you know, it should be done. Although no, I'm absolutely. sure that, that we've all got stories we can tell in our early careers where we've We've all worked for bosses who who have done that, and and that's not managing. That's not being a good boss. That's no. that that's been quite vindictive. And I, and I think what, one of the tools I started to use recently to to a lot of my team on board the ship was was to to give somebody a blank piece of paper. So draw a line down the middle. So right, you've all worked with and for people who who you've enjoyed working for. There's people you've respected and you've admired. I want you to be big big plus sign at the top of that column and then write down what all of those things you really liked about that person you know they listened yeah. they were fair they were they were honest and you know, list all the behaviors you wanted this and on the other side we've all worked with people who have shouted at us in public and done all those sort of things and made us demeaned us and all the rest of it mm. and so now write all those down in the other column and then I want you to look at all of that and I want you to promise me and yourself more importantly that you are not going to be the person on the right in the negative column, you're going to work really hard to be all the things in the left-hand column and add yeah. to it. And then draw a line at the bottom of that page and go, right, what sort of manager is Phil Street going to be? You know, what do you want to be known for? And we know having worked on in a relatively small environment, you know, close-knit environment on the mm. ships, your reputation is everything. Absolutely. If, you know, We've all worked for purses who were who were foodies, or they were figure people, or they were housekeeping people, but not consciously. But but they turned out to be that way, and you knew that you had to focus more on food and beverage if it was a certain person, because you know that that's their thing. That's, that's what they'd the be thing, looking yeah. for, you know. And that's just being smart, you know. It doesn't mean you neglect everything else, but it means. I think again, just because you have two feet, there's no need to shoot yourself in both of them. I mean, you don't, <laughs> you know, you don't, you don't. You don't um, knock off half the restaurant when you know the purse is coming in and they're a foodie. You know, it's just like you just don't do that. You learn very yeah. quickly. But, but I think it's a really useful tool just on one sheet of paper there to actually say, and, and what, what I found is a lot of people don't actually know what sort of manager they do want to be. And I think that's, yeah. you know, that they, they stumble through it, you know. Yeah, I think it's also something that you've got to go out and go and make mistakes in. You can't, I don't think you can be the perfect leader on day one. Absolutely not. And you you definitely cannot be the perfect leader to every single person that will come your way because there will be some people that don't, you know, respond to your natural character or the, or the type of leader that you want to be. There are people out there who do respond to, you know, aggression and pressure and, and all of these these sorts of things. You could argue, should they be in hospitality in the first place? Probably not. But nevertheless, it is about identifying your kind of sweeping approach to things, but then being so you know self-aware enough to be able to have individual capability as well on a one-to-one basis. I think it's really important. And, and, and up to before I worked for, for the ships, I'd not worked with very many different nationalities, different cultures, mm. you know, and, and I think that's something particularly in the hospitality industry where it's so diverse. You really do have to understand more than ever how to get the most out of the various nationalities who, who you've got on the team. And, yeah, you know, you, you could say the same statement to one particular person which will be totally misconstrued and misinterpreted 
by another. And then you start drawing in all of these, you know, some people are audio, some are visual, and, and you start using all these models for everything. And you realise that, you know, <laughs> it's it's the thing, isn't it, with the with the seamen who were who were in the early days on camera, they were all from um, Pakistan, and they were brilliant seamen. But mm. give them a pot of paint, and it was just O M G. That was like. <laughs> Um, that, that the the save dogs had learned very quickly. You had to go and show them what it was you wanted them to do. Because if you just told them audibly, I want you to go and paint that life raft davit, they would go and paint the entire davit, wheels, grease, and everything, which le- which led to that whole thing of uh, if it moves, paint it. If it, <laughs> if it does, does move, paint it till it doesn't. Type thing, yeah. And the amount of time it, we, they then had to go back and chip the paint off stuff they'd painted that should have moved, mm. just because they misunderstood and all they all they heard was go and paint the life rope, David, instead of you know paint the bits that need painting. And yeah. and you learn very quickly, of course, that you have to be sometimes more 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 detailed, more thorough than you think you should be. And it's a good lesson for you as a manager to go. Well, if they did that, not how I wanted it to be done. What does that say about me? What does it say about the message I've got to give? You know, and, and how did I put it across? Because clearly, I blame myself for that life raft of it now being fully painted. Because mm. clearly, the person I asked to do it didn't understand. And if yep. you, you know, if you and, and with the cultural thing, particularly back in the day, that the, the bosses, the the officers were. Were never questioned. They were never challenged from the from you know the bottom up type thing in the hierarchy. It was very hierarchical, and you didn't argue. You didn't challenge. You didn't say, "Are you sure you want me to paint all of that, David?" <laughs> you didn't. You, know, yeah. you didn't get that. And and of course that uh, that very soon changes when you when you learn about your people, and that that's a really important, very early lesson to 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 learn. Is that obviously the you know different pairs of ears hear different things, and Absolutely. That's, that's just life, isn't it? You know. Yeah, 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 totally. And uh, well, you could uh, apply the same logic to how guests receive information. <laughs> oh, <laughs> never put anything in in the daily newspaper that you want passengers to do ever, because that's <laughs> like, go and stick one notice up, or or go into the 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 laundrette. Go into the laundrette. That's what you need to do. Go into the laundrette and then just say one thing. And then what you normally find is within about an hour, somebody's down at reception saying, is it true that we're not getting into the next port? Or is it true that we're not doing this? And it's the jungle drums on the ship. Yeah. And, you know, and, and it's the other thing, like nobody reads any information you send them. Yeah. Unless there's a spelling mistake in it. Because again... Uh, no, no. I, well, I remember, oh God, that was one of the sweatiest jobs that I had was being the, the menu proofer. Uh, for the for the yes. daily menu in the restaurant, yes. yes, and you'd send it off to proof, and it, it it would go fine, and then you'd get to to dinner, and then phone call would come in at about twenty to seven. Do you you do know that you spell soup s o u p? Yes. Yeah, I know that. So why does it say s o u p e or something? You're like ah. Oh. Uh, I mean, I, that's not actually a mistake I ever made, but the uh, I, I couldn't actually think of something specific, but it did happen far too frequently. Oh, it's, as you know, it's a, when you're the, oh, what was a DP admin, deputy purser admin, you used to have to edit the paper, the daily yeah. newspaper. And we, I think you might remember Greg the printer. Do you remember yeah, yeah. Greg the printer? I do, yeah. Oh, yeah, he was, he was a character. 
I've no idea what his surname was. I assume it's not the printer. <laughs> no, well, you know, I'm just sitting here thinking, like, what was Greg's surname? Well, he was Greg the, the printer. printer. He was Greg yeah. the printer um, many years back. But he had this, he was brilliant with the English language. He, that nothing got past him. Right. You know, but he didn't see it as his job to correct any mistakes he saw. That wasn't his job. His job was to typeset it and actually print it. It wasn't his job to correct any of the text that might be there. Right. And I remember one of his penchants for, for the draft that you normally got was if some of our concession colleagues, like the shop manager, had not put their advert in in time and he didn't know what it was supposed to be, he, he had this habit of just putting a big black question mark in the box where the <laughs> advert should be. And, and he, was, he was quite cantankerous. He was, you know, a bit like that. And then I remember proofing this first draft with this question mark in the shop space. And I remember thinking, right, I'll ring the shop manager, make sure they go down to the print shop and see Greg and make sure that he knows what advert is going to put in. So um, I left it foolishly, foolishly, I left it at that. Right. Of course, the newspaper came out, was delivered to all of the hundreds of cabins that night. And the black question mark was still in the slot. <laughs> what had happened was the shop manager had not heeded my advice to go and let Greg know. Greg was just like, I know, I'm going to teach them a lesson. Yeah. I'm fed up with this. I'm going to teach them. They need to respect me. They need to get my advert in on time. Well, the next morning, the shop was never so busy because because nobody knew what, what the special offer was. Ah. So, they, so, so the footfall... Increased psychology. <laughs> increased by about five hundred percent. They were overwhelmed. They'd never sold so many cheap bags in all their lives. <laughs> and, uh, and, and so, so I think everybody learned from that experience is the fact that you know, Greg, don't put big black question marks in the paper, and and mm. you know, work as a team. You know, <laughs> you he, he just he knew it was going to go out like that, and he did nothing to stop it. Yeah. Poor shop manager was distraught, but then actually got the last laugh. So. You know, it's, <laughs> there are a few lessons for everybody, myself included, in that. But yeah. it, it, it was a, it was a lovely, funny consequence of of sometimes being set in your ways. Yeah, uh, but I think that's uh, maybe going forward. A big black question mark would appear in every cruise at some point. Well, well, it should, but be, be careful of overuse. <laughs> yeah. Indeed. <laughs> if, don't don't do that to the captain or the navigator and say like, right, the big question about where we're going because I don't know that go down too well. Yeah, 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 <laughs> absolutely. So we we've we've slightly deviated and gone yeah. off into stories straight that's, away, which I me. have absolutely zero objection to. <laughs> but what did you actually start life as on the ships? Oh, well, like you, I think I was a junior assistant purser on the Canberra. Yep, um, half half stripe. Bit of dental floss on your shoulder, as we yeah. called it in those days. A very thin white piece. Do you know what the funny thing about that is? That's absolutely in the same realm of half a hole. There is no such thing as half, half a hole. hole and half a stripe. It's yeah, weird, isn't it? it's still a stripe, right? Even it's if still it's still a stripe. Yeah, it's just yeah. a thin stripe. Yeah, um, but it is a thin stripe. So yeah, I started on Canberra, and I remember leaving my bursar's job in Chester, and and I had the fortune or misfortune to join Canberra in 1990 when it was in refit, tail end of refit in Bremerhaven in December. Right. Now, now you know what that's like. Yes, I do. <laughs> um, it's quite let, cold. Let's do a refit at the coldest time of the year in northern Germany and wonder why the paint doesn't dry because it's so cold. Yes. 
Well, I remember the I was on the the uh, Aurora team that launched a pre-launch. We were out uh, as it was getting refitted out in uh, northern. Where was it in Holland? They they used to do um, after they'd come out the shipyards. Once uh, again, January. Uh, could have been yes. Uh, it was about half an hour away from Groningen, uh-huh. and um, there was one bar that was a two-mile walk from the ship. So, of course, through this, the the uh, launch of uh, Aurora, that bar was fairly busy with people from, from the ship every night. But I remember so being so desperate to get to the bar for a, a beer after a long day, walking through this howling wind, didn't have the appropriate clothes on, and I could, by the time I got to the pub, I could not feel the right side of my face. And then stayed there for a few hours, turned around, and by the time I'd got back to the ship, I couldn't feel the left side of my face. <laughs> so, yes, but it's obviously told. I did live to tell the tale. So It's cold. I, I think it's, it's a cold just, part of the world. Yes, very, very cold. Of course, I, I walked up the gangway and, and had it, we were on a charter flight from Manchester. And I was lucky I got sat, I sat next to a lovely lady who, who was actually with the catering AP, catering assistant person, who we nicknamed the Cake Lady, if you remember back in the right. day. Yes, um, we used right. to take all the orders for cakes from yeah. people. Oh, um, anyway, cakes. Julie Gibbs, her name was. And she oh, yeah, was, I remember she Julie. She was lovely. Yeah. And um, she took me under a wing, and, you know, and I remember walking up the gangway in this shipyard, because huge um, shore gangways in those days. And, well, I, I thought I'd walked into a, a war. It was just right. like, it was bombed. There was deckhead panels everywhere. There's, you know, it's like pipes everywhere. There was mm. the plastic on the floor, carpet protection. There was water swilling everywhere. And the camera didn't have a, a an evac system. It was all water system. So there was a lot of it sluicing around. And I remember sort of going up to, to sign on the ship's articles my first mm. time with David Hall and Nick Burroughs. And... Yeah. Um, they said, oh, it's well. great that there's another bloke because I was going into a fairly female orientated environment as it was in those days. Right. And, oh, it's another bloke from this great. The first question was, uh, do you drink beer? Well, that was an easy one, you know. And yeah. um, they just <laughs> they wanted another drinking buddy. And then they, uh, in those days, we, we used passenger cabins, sort of as we do now. They took me to this passenger cabin. I walked in and it was, it was en suite. Yeah. Very nice, of course. And I looked in the corner and there's a bucket. And I said, What's that? He said, Well, that's for sluicing the toilet once you've been. So, can you imagine my first first hour on board the ship as a junior assistant bursar? It was like, What have I done? I've given up this bursar's job to come to freezing cold North Germany that's onto a, a ship that's a, a, a Falklands veteran, which I'd heard so yeah. much about. Yeah. And here it was, the poor old girl was looking a little bit sorry for herself. And uh, then being shown, shown to this thing, but I felt like I'd actually gone to a bit of a, a prison cell, like you see on telly, you know, where they've got to slop out and all the rest of it. And I thought, <laughs> this, this isn't hospitality. This isn't yeah. what I signed up for. And worse was to come when they handed me the keys, because in, in those days we had separate reception facilities for money exchange. And in the very right. early day, we had separate cashiers. You had information desk, which we would know as reception now. Mm. The cashiers, either side, mm. port and starboard cashier. And it was very bank-like. And you opened 8 till 12, 2 till 6. And your shutters shot down at 6 o'clock, and that was it. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> very, but, very guest-orientated. Very guest-orientated. Yeah. And I remember David was the other 
cashier was very antwack in terms of processing things. And I was handed the keys to this double safe, which was the size of one of those bigger than the the big American refrigerators you see now. Mm. And it was full of house bricks of escudos and pesetas and drachma and lira. And I was going, what's all this? I said, well, obviously it's foreign currency. I, I could have paid off several mortgages with the contents. And I thought, yeah. I've never handled foreign currency to this extent before. And I, I just felt overwhelmed, you know. And mm. you just basically said, right, here's a sheet of paper with the exchange rates on. If somebody comes to you with a tenner saying they wanted ten pounds worth of pesetas, look at what the nearest value is. Ask them to either make it up or drop it down, and that's your lot. And yeah. we sold and we sold and bought at the same rate. I but remember was, the um, the little sheet of paper, the cheat sheet, the cheat sheet. Yeah, and and some of the very cruel people at the start would actually exchange your cheat sheets if they wanted to make a point, you know, to Oof. wind you up. Um, it, yeah. it was, uh, we talk about the balancing earlier. That's not the pleasant thing to do. But anyway, moving on. Well, I never did that, obviously, because obviously, cause, no, well, I, I genuinely didn't, Streety. Genuinely <laughs> didn't. It was it was way, way too because of course that's money, and if you start to give money away, that's horrible. But yeah. anyway, and and I was overwhelmed by that because of course it. I just got told to get on with it. And again, another, mm. another one of life's lessons is just don't assume, you know. And uh, the assumption was made that I knew what I was doing, that I'd be fine handing out thousands of pounds worth of cash yeah. uh, with the cheat sheets. And, and it was a big learning curve. But uh, Do you know that um, uh, when, because obviously we started doing the same sort of role. Yeah. And I remember the uh, the training that I did in head office about how to count money. Um, oh yes, yes. Oh, and I could I could never do it. I, I, the whole way through, I did not count money the way that you were supposed to count money. Well, how did you manage that? I uh, well, I just basically turned myself into a, a mafia boss and counted it like I was, you know, like I owned the place. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I was. Um, I couldn't do the little finger flicking things quickly. I just could not get my oh, well, fingers we, around we, that we, at all. We were trained on telephone directories on on yellow pages. Ah, right. That was the thing to do. They gave you a big yellow pages book and said, "Right, put that between your thumb and your finger and start, you know, flicking away to start flicking to, for, for, for muscle memory, you know, and all of that." Yeah. And and it was it was really quite. I mean, the way that you could then you know work a very big those those printout calculators. You know, you could do it blind. You could just, you know, you just do it in the end sort of that yeah. way. And but again, you know, you you learnt a lot being on the front yeah. desk as you do in reception. And I think it's the best I, I foundation you can get. One of the greatest training grounds in the world for anything oh, is, to, is to work uh, a front desk on a cruise ship. Oh, it's 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 incredible. You know, sort of with this lift taken to the back of the ship, and you go, oh. Yeah. <laughs> um, get back to that one. Do these stairs go up or down? Yeah, um, yeah. Do the yeah. crew go home at night? Oh, yes, the yes. crew live on board. Yeah. I love that one. Yeah. yeah. Where does your milk come from? Oh, well, we've got some cows on the astroturf. You know, it's um, yeah. We we have it all, but but you get all all things there, and and you're right. It's it's the best way without specialising because you you've got to go and find things out. You know, yeah. you've got to pick up a phone, or you've got to ask a colleague, and you've got to. That's you're like a sponge in the beginning. You're just absorbing so much. Well, I mean, the the big one that I remember, I started life on the old Arcadia, and uh, which was, I think, probably the ship that came in to replace Canberra uh, at the time. And um, the big thing that used to happen on there was uh, to the toilet system would stop working. So, but on day one, 
when somebody comes to you and says, uh, my toilet's not flushing, you're like, great, okay, I have absolutely no idea how to fix that. But of course, by the end of day one, you know how to fix that. Well, not not personally, but yeah, no, 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 the indeed, problem. Indeed. There was a, a, <laughs> Did you get your plunger? Thankfully, there was a protocol. <laughs> I can't see you with the plunger streaking. I'm sorry, it's not, it's not an image. I've got my time plunging. Well, you know, not 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 with your 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 dental floss on your shoulder. That's not the way it worked, was it? No, indeed. No, but it's it's true, and and you know that that. You are exposed to so much on that reception. I, I get another lesson I learned very early is not to take it personally. You know, yeah. when, when you've got a, a, a passenger in front of you saying, and this is the third time now my toilet's blocked, you know, I was taking it personally, but it wasn't me that blocked it, you know. Mm. So so get over that bit first, Ian, before you start, you know, fe- feeling yourself going flushing bright red as this person's sounding yeah. at you and say, absolutely, if it was my fault, you know, I understand, but. I'm here to yeah. help you and put it right. I'm sorry it's happened. We're in recovery mode now. You know, I can't make it not be blocked instantly. Yeah. I can't stop it having blocked in the first place from where we are now. But what I will do is I will go and make this right and sort it out. And then I'll go and see how we can stop it blocking again in the future. Because mm. no, nobody likes to be confronted by anything like that. It's very unpleasant. But no. yeah, you, you learn very quickly all of those things and and I think we were lucky in the cruise industry. We had lots of people right there. You, know, you didn't have to wait for anybody. Yeah. You had lots of close-by managers who you could always ask advice from, Yeah, which is something I think that you don't always get depending on the scale of your operation. You've always got to wait for some specialist manager or something like that to come with, but everybody knew a little bit about everything in those days. Yeah. Well, I, I think there's, I mean, there's so many passengers on that the the volume of inquiries, both in person and over the telephone, are you know it's relentless from the start of your shift to the end. Maybe you get slight lulls around lunchtime uh, and dinner time, but uh, in the main, uh, you know it's it's a busy job. And so with a busy job, you you can't help but learn. It's uh, there's learning every minute that you're there. You have to be. You have to learn to be self-sufficient, even though, ironically, you've got lots of people around you who will support you. <laughs> mm. Yeah, indeed, absolutely. But you know, and and that's that's how you get your wings, isn't it? That's how you you d- develop and move up the ranks. Is that, that that then you know more than you did six months ago? Oh, absolutely, and and that's what happened. I was, I was lucky, and I got promoted fairly quickly yeah. to an assistant person in the crew office, which I know is a job that you know well. Yes. Um, in those days, it was very much more pen and ink, and not as technologically advanced as it was even in your day. Right. And it was very, you know, doing payroll and everything on board with sheets of paper and LibreArch files and big calculators and big bun- bundles of cash. And you know, again, it yeah. was like a, <gasps> never done this before. But that was amazing. You know, an amazing experience. And sort of, I worked my. I think the good thing about working in the cruise industry, as you know, is you do get exposed to all elements of things and more because mm. if you work in a conventional hotel, you'll never have to deal with a, a dodgy immigration official or a, an agent you know? <laughs> Yeah, yeah <laughs> to, uh, in order to deliver your product, which is again, that where I, I sort of drew on my diplomacy skills I'd learned in academia to sort of deal with authority and, and the likes who, who would say the ship is not clear for passengers mm. to go ashore. And you think, oh, right, what do we do here? <laughs> yeah. But again, very enlightening, enlightening time to be doing clearances around the world. 
Yeah, well, uh, the World Cruise is is just a a, a monumental undertaking, actually, isn't it? As a, a as a vessel that goes around, all of the clearances that you've you've got to get, all of the different rules and regs from country to country, and you've got to be a master of all of these, oh. or at least know somebody who is. Well, planning it's all down to planning, isn't it? And, yeah, and and being ready and dealing with the in swingers on the day, you know. Oh, I remember times whereby you know you've been given one set of instructions by the immigration or whatever, and they get on in the morning and they say, "Right, we want we want to see every one of your passengers." Yeah. Uh, that's not what you told us you wanted to do. No, but that's what we want to do today. Yes. Okay. Yeah. The, the wind is blowing <laughs> right. in a different direction today. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it was, it was terrible. Well, terrible. It was quite a fractious time in in India. When that when that we had travelling officials who said, no, yeah, passengers don't need passports ashore and everything. The boarding officials said, no, no, they need to take them, and uh, you know, so we we we'd collected them all in for safekeeping to make it easy mm. for the passengers, and then we had to give them all out, and then and then the, the, the officials, two sets of officials, actually got into an argument in front of us, saying, no, they don't. Yes, they do. No, they don't. Yes, they do. not doing the hokey cokey. I said, well, <laughs> it was in, it was out. And now you're shaking it all about, and I just you know <laughs> just want to. Yeah, give give the purse a clearance so that we can get our passengers off and they can go and see your yeah. lovely country and spend know, their money, spend their places. money in your place. And yeah. and they, we soon came to a resolution. I think it involved a bottle of Johnny Walker Black Label in the end. It usually involved that, a bottle in those of Johnny days. Walker, it was Black be, Label. Before anti-bribery and corruption. Yeah. Um, Damn it, the anti-bribery well, and corruption. Well, you know, I, it's it's a <laughs> it, it's a it's fabulous that you don't have to bribe somebody now for doing their job. Absolutely. <laughs> um, but but again, the cultural thing in those days, it's it was expected, and yeah. you know, we're back to the two feet and shooting yourself in both of them. You know, you you smooth the way as much as you could mm. in those days, and and there's a, a lot to be said now for for not having to do it. Obviously, but yeah. um, it's amazing how many agents were uh, and officials were connoisseurs of, of single malt whiskey. Put it that way. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Red label would never do. (laughs) (laughs) Did you ever spend any time in food and beverage or were you always on the the admin slash room side? No, I I did. um, I did some catering. I did the, uh, of course, the 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 other good thing about P&O is they they trained you. So I got my um, intermediate and advanced food hygiene through the company and everything. And that's one of the really good things that that P&O were very good at in terms of you know making sure that you, they would support you through that but yeah. i did uh, my stint as uh on the old victoria which was the old sea princess i was um the catering sap senior assistant person it was in those days yeah. and, and i was uh, responsible for uh, that and the, the mess rooms so obviously feeding the crew uh and doing obviously fairly that, important you know very important um yeah. army marches on its stomach and yeah. obviously doing a lot to do with the U.S. Port Health, um, USPH regulations, and, and again, you learn an awful lot. If, if you don't know what clean is until you go to USPH inspection, yeah, you you know that more than anyone. But yeah, I, I found catering. You know, I, I prefer to eat the food than um, and drink the drink rather than prepare it. But um, I, I did do it, and I think one of the good things in the early days is just coming back to you know being exposed to a lot, all all the facets of hospitality. Yeah. Is that on, on your progression up through the ranks, you you did have to go round all of them. So my progression was was reception to the crew office to catering 
bit of tours thrown in for good measure in the old days. We had tours mm. APs instead of short excursions managers. I see. And then my first two-stripe promotion was to accommodation manager on the, the old Victoria. And then deputy purser, sort of the admin catering sort of route before getting purser. Yeah. So it was a really good grounding and, and quite well paced as well. You know, there's a couple of years between each sort of promotion, yeah. if you like. So you were able to build steadily. You weren't, you know, you weren't suddenly escalated, you know, high flyer through everything. It's very rare that happened. And I think that was, that would have been detrimental if, if that had have happened. Yeah. I always remember one of my career regrets is that I feel that like I, I maybe left just a little too early. The day that I got off was the, the day of Lee Evans's wedding, you may recall. I do. Um, and I had a, Nigel Watkins was the, uh, the, was the boss of F&B at the time. And he was at the wedding as well. And I had a chat with him under the influence of a couple of glasses of wine. You didn't have more than two units. Uh, yeah, well, I was off, off ships, so you know, ah, let, well, yeah. let the uh, far longer than it is now hair down. <laughs> and, and he said to me, oh, you were, you were next for F&B manager. I was like, oh, you tell me that now. Oh, Great. Don't, don't tell me. I'd rather not. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, but I, you know, actually, if I think about that back then, I, w- I was 25 years old, I think, when I, I left, having had a, a really lovely uh, career. I have nothing but fond memories uh, of the time. And I think back to the level of responsibility that was given to me at such a young age, you know, all the way through, I mean, I got promoted before I was expecting to get promoted on more than one occasion. And uh, and you think to yourself, God, somebody sees something in me that I do not see in myself yet. Yeah, I think it's it's a it's probably it's probably in a, in a way easier to see that on ships, but also harder because you you're quite quite transient as a workforce. So you mm. might might work really well with a line manager in on one ship but then get moved out of necessity to another and never work with them again. Yeah. And so I think that's, you know, in, in some way it's a double-edged sword, isn't it? You know, if somebody sees the potential in you and they, they want to seize it and do it and they do it quickly, that's great. But there are some, sometimes just by accidents of timing, you end up just always being passed over because you're hopping from ship to ship to ship. Yeah. And, and people are not able to develop your potential and see the potential in you. So, yeah, it, it's it's double-edged. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually on that point, it's a damn good point. I re- I remember being a golden boy on one ship. It's actually it was under one particular F and B manager, and then he went on leave. Next F and B manager came in, and literally on day one, I I made two errors that I had never made before. And he's asking the question. I thought this was the golden boy. You know, he's he's useless. <laughs> And you think, this is not, I don't normally do this. This is not, I'm not making these errors on purpose. I don't know what's happened. Maybe maybe I've just been on for a month too long. I don't know. Put down to um, nerves. Oh, so you are, you are overwhelmed by the magnificence of your new line manager. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Yes. Anyway, we can, we can move on. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, so then, you know, laterally, you, you made it to the, the top job as it were, which is, from a hotel perspective, certainly is the top job on, on board a ship, which would be the equivalent of a, a resort general manager or a general manager or something like that in a hotel, but obviously with a lot more pieces to, to keep together, I, I would say. Uh, how long were you in 
that role for? Uh, well, I first got promoted, that was 2006. So I had to hand over to one of the most experienced persons, Miss Jones. Yeah. On Oceana, it was. And uh, I remember absolutely dreading it. I was absolutely because I thought, how can I hand over? I've only been in the job two minutes. I've done one trip of three months as executive purser, as you were in those days, mm. hotel general manager you are now. And I remember thinking, oh, my God, what do I do? What do I tell her? It's like teaching granny to suck eggs. You know, it's like... Yeah. But, but, so, but, so that's a great analogy, actually. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Images, images. No, no. Yeah, Put the no, door no. on the side. Put the door on the side. And and I, you know, it, it it wasn't as bad as, as as obviously I was dreading it to be. She was lovely. Yeah. She was, you know. So oh, oh for heaven's sake, Winnie, just give me the keys. <laughs> yeah, is the fridge stocked? Uh, is the fridge stocked with Sauvignon <laughs> Blanc? Um, and that's it. And and really, I, I needn't have worried, you know. But but uh, yeah, two thousand six was the first time I I got the the sort of the final promotion, if you like, and yeah. We've gone through a few manifestations of job title changes and things, and obviously when we did, uh, we tried to align with the Cunard fleet. They had they had hotel managers. They would call them Hot Man, for short. Okay, very, fair very, enough. Very bizarre. Yeah. And we were executive purses, and I remember the big conflab in uh, Carnival House when we were trying to do um, what we called HMS Hotel Management Standardisation across the fleets, right. and. Cunard and Pino had gone from like fierce competitors to touchy feely or one, one big happy family, and we had to decide on the new title. And they wanted to keep Hot Man because they were Cunard, and we wanted to keep Executive Burrs because we were PO. Mm. And it was it was just it was a bit like imagine what Brexit negotiations must have been like. Um, you yeah, know, nothing we, on this. <laughs> we ended up compromising <laughs> on. Uh, Hotel general manager because it was more of a rom seal moment and did exactly what it said on the tin. We yeah. kept the hotel manager aspect in, but we just went for HGM and you'd get called all sorts of abbreviations. So we love our TLAs, don't we? On on ships, we love our three letter acronyms for everything. Yeah, no and, doubt. And and we have the you know the SAS, which to anybody outside of the ship world means something different to the ship's activity schedule. But hey, <laughs> you know, you know, what the truth get in the way of a good story. Yeah, uh, so yeah, that, yeah, it's so 60, uh, 2006, What's that? Fifteen, fifteen yeah. years? Yeah, fifteen years yeah. in in the uh, the top job. See that that bean counting came into good use right there. Well, thinking on my feet, hadn't even got the extras icon open on my iPhone to work that out. <laughs> Yeah, so well, I, I suppose as well because you've, you know, that's the 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 top job on on a ship. But obviously, you've had pretty much as soon as you navigate away from being a junior assistant purser as it was back in the day, you are into leadership positions. Really, it's just various sizes of leadership uh, and the quantity of people that you've got to look after. You must have, and we've actually, I'm, I'm kind of, this is a very leading conversation actually i can i suppose that's the benefit of being the host you can lead it wherever you wish um doesn't mean spoken... ancestry no that's, that's true <laughs> we've spoken off uh, microphone around the you know the, the quantity of things that happen that are you know completely out of, out of the normal notwithstanding then all of the, the 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 world level events that happen that you then if you're on a ship you know you 
you're on the moon for want of a better phrase when when you're on a ship but all of these things that happen in the world do affect and you must have been in leadership positions for some pretty big ones uh, over the years yeah well i don't think that well obviously two that stand out which were uh, two, which obviously 911 um yeah. i was on aurora and we were actually in america at the time so but we were we were very much at the center the, the nucleus of what was happening and we'd actually taken our British passengers over to new york as a part of a, a sort of package, if you like, because we were going to go embark on two, three-day charters. Mm. And some American financiers through a, a company, charter company, had chartered the Aurora for two, three-day cruises. And we had um, so embarked on a course. And I remember sailing down the Hudson River that night. It was actually my first time in New York, despite wow. all my travelling. And I remember thinking, oh, isn't the Statue of Liberty quite small? <laughs> the amazing one sticks in your mind, you know. You see the whole Manhattan skyline, and you don't clock, you didn't clock obviously the twin towers in those days, and whatever. It was just part of the of, of the skyline, yeah. And and you sailed out and everything, and you know you had completely different. You've gone from having you know a couple of thousand British, well, sixteen hundred British passengers on to about eight hundred American mainly male financiers on and the, the shift right. was incredible but then i remember the next day uh, was when 9 11 happened and it was, it was chaos it was absolute i mean I'd, it's one of those things like where were you when jfk was shot or princess yeah. died and all of that it's like where were you when it happened i absolutely remember where i was i was on i wasn't well i wasn't on oriana at the time i was actually off in zebruga and um went off I had I literally had an hour and a half off and just went off to get some Belgian chocolates for my family because my leave was coming up, which, you know, as you do. As you do. And the bus driver said, oh, as, as we were all getting on, have you heard what's happened in America? And I was like, no. And, and he said, planes have flown into the Twin Towers. And I remembered, <laughs> I don't think my reaction I'm going to air right now, but it went something along the lines of, you have to be joking me. Yeah, uh, or something like that, and uh, because I, you know, it's just for somebody to to say that to you, you think, what, what, that, what? Yes, I, I, that, you know, it takes you a moment to compute. It well, it was worse, obviously, being there because we, yeah, we were all called to the wardroom because that's where the the, <laughs> the biggest screen TV was, mm. and um, we hadn't seen the first one go in, but we saw the second plane go in, and I remember the the shock of that, the whole atmosphere on this small metal box obviously just changed yeah just just instantly changed and of course because of the clientele we would we were carrying their colleagues their friends some of them were there because obviously big financial place twin towers mm. and it was palpable it, it was one of the most memorable but for the wrong reasons times yeah. i think i've had in my career and and, and just trying to shake the team out of it so that we can get into help mode. Yeah. You know, because everybody was feeling it. And communication was just, well, it just went out the window because what we hadn't realized was that most, the most powerful phone masts in New York were on top of the Twin Towers. So all of the, right. all of the cell phone um, network had gone down. It was being overloaded anyway. Mm. But of course, all of our, our guests were sort of very worried about friends, family, colleagues, etc. So yeah. we're trying to ring but couldn't. 
Right. And in and in those days, our communication on board the ship wasn't, you know, high speed internet or anything. Yeah. So we were getting bombarded with all sorts of. You need to contact this person. You need to contact this person. And then we 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 pulled into Atlantic City um, because obviously we couldn't go back to New York. And one of the things that really hit me was quite shocking. Was we couldn't go back to New York not not because you know the well basically the sea turn was being used as the morgue and it was. Right. And everything was covered in dust and everything was just very impractical to go. So we then had to, of course, all the planes got grounded. And of course, in America, at that point, everybody was flying everywhere. Yeah, We had to then arrange for Greyhound buses to uh, take all of our finances back to New York and, and make the rest of it. And then we had to round up all of our, cancel the second charter and round up all the British passengers we'd just left in New York. Mm. to get them back to the UK because they couldn't fly home after their three-day package. Of course, yeah. And then we were trying to, you know, organise logistics of that, trying to round them up. Not everybody was on an organised tour post-package and we were trying to get hold of people. Of course, not as many people had mobile phones in those days and certainly didn't want to use them in a foreign country. Yeah. And um, we rounded everybody up, rebirthed everybody, embarked everybody into Boston, as it was then, and set sail back and the world was never the same and you know that some of the challenges you had to to face then and deal with human behavior in a crisis environment and mm. when, when you do your courses and everything to be in charge of the muster on a, on a ship in an emergency you, you kick all these things and and try and do the the oiling the organizing informing and leading and but it's just when you're in a foreign country it, it's just well, you know, they they weren't best equipped to cope with it. Nothing like that had ever happened yeah. in America before. And, you know, it was just trying to get things done and trying to keep your team well-grounded and, and trying to keep them, you know, breathing because people just forget to breathe and panic and everything. It's just horrible. So yeah. that happened very much in the moment and a lot of crisis management happened there. But uh, I, I didn't escape, obviously, the, the covid part as well as the second real biggie if you like in sorry covid what's that I yes exactly yes um I don't know, it's called <laughs> coronavirus did you know it better as anyway yeah because uh I'd, it's I'd, got beer in it yeah um I, I was joining um arcadia my last ship in in australia i flew out to perth and it, it still hadn't really we hadn't gone into lockdown in the uk at that point but a week after we'd sailed from Australia, we did. We were in complete lockdown situation, so we hadn't been able to pick up all of our passengers. So we're just sailing a bit light, fortunately, mm. in a lot of respects. But then we had to implement all of the social distancing, the, the quarantine arrangements, the sanitising arrangements, and everything. One week out in the middle of the Indian Ocean, and we were we were basically we were heading up to Colombo, and there's no. You're hanging a left. You're heading back home to the UK because, of course, the whole world was shutting down. Yeah. And if you're on a big floating box with sixteen, well, near a two thousand, two and a half thousand souls on board on with the crew, no country wanted to let us in. Yeah. And so we were relying very much on what we've been able to stock in Australia, provisions-wise, without going anywhere. Then we couldn't get into Mumbai. They sent that we were going to go through Suez. That shut. We weren't allowed to go through Suez. So there's a right. We'll head for. Durban in South Africa. We had to then divert around South Africa. Mm. And then Durban wouldn't let us in either. And then it got to almost a humanitarian stage. 
we just had to well, say yeah. well, start running out of food we're running out of food and yeah. you've got to let's in and there was helicopters coming over pilots being dropped all sorts of testing being done and and, and for our guests it, it was really horrible for them as well as the crew because they were hearing things from home but they were in a bubble you know yeah. they're, they're in a lovely safe bubble it was well, we were mid-February coming into early March and that, whilst they knew anecdotally what their family and friends were telling them was happening and they could see the news on the telly they didn't have to you know we were doing one meter social distancing on the ship mm. but but for them saying oh, well why have we got to do it you know there's no covid on board we were all right you know and, and sort of trying to explain to everybody and to the team to try and reinforce that you know yeah but if if we don't do all of these things we won't be allowed into any port that we're going to you know, they'll want to know these measures have been put in place. And that was really, really hard. You know, that was a very hard thing to do. But then when the penny dropped after we eventually got to Durban, but, you know, then the penny dropped, this was serious. You know, this was, you know, wheel coming. And one of the most enlightening things I found about the whole period and and, and with the crew was we didn't have one case of D&V on board the ship. Right. Because everybody was washing their hands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it was the weirdest thing. You know, there's always, you know, background cases of a little bit of DMV, especially if you're going ashore in foreign ports and things, you pick mm. things up on whatever, you know what it's like. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. But we, we say, don't we, on board, wash your hands, wash your hands, no substitute for washing your hands. Well, you know, when the penny dropped, it was incredible. It was just no yeah. cases of dmv at all and so well why can't we do this all the time <laughs> it'd be yeah. really nice thank you if we could do that but covid has, has obviously been devastating and and of course in the cruise industry they felt it more keenly well as keenly as everyone else i think mm. because you know thousands and thousands of people have been you know they've had all of their holidays affected and to the point where the, the, biz, the business has nearly all but disappeared and some of the small cruise ship companies have actually disappeared yeah well it's such a, a high growth industry before covid i mean you, you literally could not keep no. up with the pace of the the growth yeah i think you know if you can take the positives out of all of this then looking forward you know some of the systems and mechanisms and some of the protocols and things that that we've had to introduce in in covid times now going forward and, and even just heightening the awareness i've just been talking about has got to be a good thing for for the hospitality sector yeah you know sometimes painful lessons we go we become full circle don't we you know absolutely about experience and uh making mistakes and i think covid will have taught an awful lot of people the importance of hygiene and 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 respecting the little virus that could make such a big impact yeah absolutely yeah well i the um that uh brings the curtain down on your your cruise career and actually now you're moving into something uh a little bit different but yes. i would imagine that uh, that hospitality is has prepared you well for what you're going into just t- tell us what you've got in store ah well well when covid hit and some of us were furloughed i i undertook a celibacy course not to be confused with celibacy I, yeah, had well, keep, I, was, I had to keep pointing this out. I, I was having um, sweaty <laughs> moments about if I'm asked to say the words, I um, I can't guarantee that I'm going to mess that one up. No, you get used to it. So, yeah, yeah. I, didn't, um, I, I, know, I know just found out yesterday that I've um, passed all my units for qualified to be a 
a civil celebrant. So for the uninitiated, that's that's funerals, uh, weddings, and namings mainly. Yeah. So I I will be helping people in their times of need if it's a a loss, and helping them to celebrate in their times of joy if it's a wedding or a naming. Yeah. I've just set up business here in Chester for for that ilk, and I'm really looking forward to it because it's it's dealing with people again. Yeah. And because I'm my own boss, I shall be able to hopefully um, monitor and get the work-life balance right because everyone says, oh, great, put your feet up, now you're retired. Well, I'm not going to be retiring fully. I suppose that, is that the definition of semi-retired? I don't know. Is it semi-retired? I think if you're still working in any form, as long as you're doing something that you enjoy, then what's the, the, the need to retire, well, even it's semi-retire? It's a label, isn't it? I might be drawing yeah. a modest pension from my 30-year career, but I, I'm still only 55. And I think that's that's the thing is, you know, it, it would be easy to hang up your stripes and, and just do nothing. Mm. But I, I'm not ready for that yet. No. And, I, and I think everything I've learned from cruising the world, it, it's actually quite surprising the amount of people who who you tell them what you're doing now and, and what you did before. So, oh, I was on a cruise. I did this. Oh, do you know so-and-so? And isn't this lovely? And it's amazing what life experiences and and, and connections made because cruising got so popular that, you know, a lot of people who never thought they ever would cruise have now cruised. Yeah. And it's a great opener for a conversation. You know, it's like, oh, were you? Oh, you must have. You've got to write your memoirs. <laughs> yeah. I think anybody who's worked on ship for any length of time could probably write a really interesting oh, yes. memoir. Oh, yes. But you have to definitely change the names. I remember thinking yeah. before I went to sea, I watched Carry On Cruising, and I thought, right. it's not like that. And then I watched it again a few years later after I'd been working for the company, and I could put put different names to all the characters in <laughs> Cruising. And, oh, yes, it was like that. There was the dodgy old lady who didn't know what day of the week it was, and the alcoholic who never left the bar, no matter which port you were in. Yeah, and that was just the crew. And that was just the crew, yes. <laughs> yeah, I know it's still a, it's a time of my life. It was the, my first proper job, if you like, after uh, graduating from university. It's still a, a time. It taught me so much. And actually, your comment there about um, now with the, the role that you're going to be doing going forward around supporting people through their loss and being there for their yeah, you know, their their joyous moments. This is exactly what hospitality is, I think. You know, you can't when people come into your life and you're offering hospitality, you can't determine what's going to happen at any particular moment. Anything could happen and usually does. And then you've got, you know, your ability to be able to respond and react to what's happening in front of you, some of which you will have had training for some of which you won't and um you know the the big kind of crisis that you you've highlighted there of the ones that you have had to deal with in your time at, at sea you, nobody had the playbook on how you deal with either of those things like you you no, have no. to learn on the go there, there was no there was no chapter written for any of those and i think that i was quoted this thing from punch magazine from 1927 okay it was, it was um the captain has only the ocean to fear, the furnace is fun to the chief engineer, but the purser has people to manage, poor dear, and heaven help the purser. 
And, <laughs> and, and you know what? That, that's lived with me through my career because, it, as in hospitality, if you're dealing with people and, and the general public anyway, it's, it's no two days are the same. And you know that that's that's the richness that hospitality can bring, yeah. And and it it isn't all fluffy. It is hard work. It can be very very exhausting, but it can equally be just as rewarding. And when you know you've made a difference, you know it's it's not a hop, skip, and a jump away from what I'm going to be doing in celebrants, you know, mm. in Chester to to do the same. It's 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 going to be you know a joy to actually be able to help people still. Yeah, uh, and uh, I'm really looking forward to it. Well, I, and as you should, you've definitely earned your your stripes, uh, as, it, <laughs> as it were. Sorry, that, that that pun just came to me as I was uh, oh, saying it. But there I, we I, are. I've had some some great. I was trained by the Fellowship of Independent Celebrants, and, and there's some great things. You learn so much about origins of us, like set in stone. You know, when something's set in stone. Yeah. That was when um, couples were exchanging their vows, holding on to like an oathing stone in their hand from right. nature. And it was thought, it is thought that if you exchange your vows whilst holding on to a stone, those vows go into the stone. And therefore they're set in stone. Oh. And uh, it's really fascinating, you know, with the origins of some of our phrases we use every day. And then if that stone is returned to nature and you can't find it again, it means it's you know, those vows will never be broken because right. they can't be found again. You know, right. so fascinating stuff. It's all very yeah, I, I'm. Stuff. I'm going to ask you to to shut up now because I don't want this turning into an educational podcast. <laughs> oh God, your reputation will be way out the window, Streety. <laughs> yeah, uh, absolutely. But uh, no, look, I, the um, uh, you've been very, very uh, frivolous with um, with the stories throughout your your journey. Is there anything you're you're leaving out, or anything that you'd love to to get any stories that? Um, that are particularly amusing to you from your time. <laughs> the ones that are the most amusing will be the ones that are the most embarrassing, and I think you might be in one or two of them, Streety. So I'll I think we're, I think we're, I think should we quit while we're ahead? Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Now that you've if you've just put that line in, I'm I'm now a little scared. So well, you are uh, the host. You can take this whichever direction you like, but you might regret it. That's true. That's true. <laughs> No, but I I do have fond memories uh, of working working with you. You were a, a a fantastic boss. You you definitely allowed us enough rope to go hang ourselves, but also gave us the support when it was needed. Um, and I always felt that you had our back. And actually, the vast majority of people that I work with, even we talked about Miss Jones. I remember coming onto Arcadia, and she was my first ever executive purser. And I was scared of Miss Jones. I I, I have absolutely no shame in admitting. She had a presence for us young whippersnappers, but actually, as you got to know her, she was you know she was fiercely loyal, and um, you know supported her her teams you know to to the death basically. Oh, completely, completely, and and her actions always spoke louder than her words. Yeah, Miss Miss Jones, she was Susan Jones, and she was never a Sue. I always remember that. And going back to that, but I hand over. I was handing over to Miss Jones, and I was calling her Miss Jones, and he says, "Winnie, will you stop calling me Miss Jones?" And it's that thing you said. You know, you're scared of that. <laughs> yeah. I've just not always known you as Miss Jones. I can't not call you Miss Jones. I got nothing to do with biting damp, by the way. But yeah, know, it's that. But I, you know, you couldn't couldn't not. I couldn't call her Susan. Yeah, you know, we, we were on the same footing and everything like that. Eventually, obviously, and I thought, no, I just can't bring myself to call her Susan. <laughs> 
Oh dear, the things, yeah. the things. No, absolutely. But uh, no, I'd, congratulations on a, an epic career at sea. And I wish you all the very best in, in your next chapter. Uh, thank you very much, Streety. I've, I've really enjoyed this last uh, hour or so. Hour and 21. I know. Oh, <laughs> I have to edit that down. I could go on. <laughs> I could go on. But, um... I think we got it. No, I really enjoyed it. It's been, quite, it's been quite cathartic to reflect on my career, actually. Just because I've, yeah. I've not really had the opportunity to do it. So thank you for giving me the opportunity to to do that. And if, if anybody takes away anything from... Any pearl of wisdom from from this podcast, then uh... you'd be very surprised. (laughs) (laughs) Is that your reputation or mine? Yeah, I I have no idea. I have no idea. I um, yeah, I I do this because it's a labour of love, and I I enjoy hearing about uh, about people's stories. I hope that other people do too. Certainly, it does feel like we do have some listeners out there. So, so that's great. Something Um, to listen to on the train. Yeah, yeah, on a long train journey. <laughs> this one, yeah. <laughs> Is that a good no, thing or a bad thing? I'm not sure. Yeah, uh, uh, yes, indeed. Anyway, I'm going to leave it there. Perfect. But uh, so, Winifred of Smythe, it's been a pleasure to to have you on the show, and uh, thank you for coming on and sharing your story. It's been my absolute pleasure, Streety. Good to talk to you. You too. Take care. Cheers. Cheers. Bye bye. And there we have it. A huge thank you to Sir Winifred for coming on the show to share his story from a wonderful career. Having spent five years working on a ship in the early part of my career, I cannot recommend it enough. Don't forget, we'll be back at 8pm next Wednesday with more stories from hospitality. But until then, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.